This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to part two of the post-draft mega mailbag. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley and Twitter legend Pauly Brzez. So let's get right back into the mailbag. And we'll start it off with Gus Toon, who's asking a second question. But I'm going to let him do it because I love Gus. He says, is this unfair in my opinion, this draft was Max's way of saving his job. Failed in free agency to get a center and a tackle. Fine, I get it. There were reasons it didn't happen for him. But now that the draft is over too, they still have no center. They took a tight end and a middle linebacker. Do you think Max should be fired on the spot? Well, I don't know that I think that, but Adam Gase probably does. <laughs> as far as whether Max should be fired on the spot, listen, no. If you were going to fire him, you were going to fire him before... All of this happened in the offseason. I think if you want to reevaluate at the end of the season, fine. But look, I've been clear about this. I didn't think the Jets should go into this draft with this dire need to fill holes. I think they had to add talent above all else because they were probably realistically two years away from a real run. If they make the playoffs this year, it's an added bonus, but they had to stack talent. So I'm not going to get too crazy about center and tackle. They did add a tackle. Maybe he's not going to be a star tackle, but he has potential to start down the line. As far as center, maybe Jonathan Harrison surprises us, but no, I wouldn't be firing McCagnan on the spot because he didn't deliver a starting center in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying McCagnan should have been fired with Bowles. I said both Bowles and McCagnan should have been fired the year beforehand, but you're not going to fire him now right after the draft. It would be too big of a mess, and it wouldn't make much sense. If you wanted to do that, you should have made that move already. And I don't see how you can blame him We've talked about the center all this time, but I don't see how you can blame them for not upgrading the tackle position. There wasn't anything out there worth going after in free agency. They should, it's a good thing they didn't go ahead and pay Trent Brown that money. The other options weren't there, and you have to pay a huge premium to take a, a, a tackle in free agency, and the guys that were available weren't very good even if you had to pay him at a more realistic salary, definitely not to pay him. Look at what the Giants did last year. Uh, you know, they went with Nate Soldier. They gave him the biggest con- uh, offensive tackle contract in history, and he was awful last year. So you can't – this is my biggest pick criticism of Mac, and at least you used the third-round pick on an offensive lineman now. But you have to build the offensive line through the draft. It's okay to go ahead and acquire a guy here and there to plug on the line through trade and free agency like you did with Assembly. But you have to build the, the base of that offensive line through the draft. It's the only way to do it now. Yeah, no, I mean, they're not, they're not going to fire him just because he didn't get a center. Um, it's silly. Um, many people dislike McCagnan. Um, I don't dislike him. I just I think he should have been gone uh, before the next coach was hired. Uh, but now we're kind of stuck with him. I do think that also that the quarterback may have bought him a small window still. Yes. So if the, you know, if the, the rumblings of the, you know, the internal struggle between him and Gase are either not as bad as we, as it's been reported, or maybe it's been hashed now, um, you know, maybe he stays. But again, getting the quarterback, no matter how you do it, no matter how your tenure looks, I mean, if Arnold goes out there this year and looks amazing, and this team is is competing, McCagnan is not going anywhere. So it's all going to be based on what – I mean, if this season bottoms out and the team wins four or five games, absolutely. But if this team is competitive after what he's done, 
I mean, he's gotten three cornerstone players, whether you want to believe that it was luck or not. I mean, the last three drafts are Jamal Adams, Sam Darnold, and Quinnen Williams. I mean, granted, it's been a little luck, um, but, I mean, he's added those players, and if this team is competing this year, he's not going. These guys were all picked in the top six, too. But point taken, Paulie. Plus, also in the offseason, they did add Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley, two guys who have all-pro potential. Obviously, Bell has been an all-pro selection. Mosley should have been a couple of times, and I think he has a chance to reach that level with the Jets. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Jersey Jet. He says, in retrospect, should we criticize Mac for not doing everything he had to do to land Mitch Morse? If he felt like Paradis's medical wasn't going to hold up and Morse was the only one available that was going to be an above-average starting center, knowing how bad that was a hole they needed to fill, should they have done more? Should they have outbid the Bills? Honestly, I can't get too upset about it because I don't think Mitch Morse is that good. I think he's a solid center. I don't think you want to be blowing huge money on a guy that's an above-average player. That's really how bad teams stay bad. If you're going to overspend, you want to overspend on young players that are really, really good. I think they probably at the time thought they could fall back on Harrison and maybe get a center in the draft. I think they probably thought McCoy and Jenkins would be available in the third round, but unfortunately it didn't work out that way. Their stock rose, and so it is what it is. But no, I don't think that we should be that upset at Mac for not bidding like a wild man on Mitch Morse. The thing here is, if just assume that this year Morse stays healthy and everything doesn't have any concerns there, then it would have been better for this upcoming year. Uh, in retrospect, looking back 2020 hindsight, you'd be better off having Mitch Morris in here for this year. But to give him that type of contract, I think you're better off in the long run by not giving him that type of contract. It's really that simple. If he would be a, an upgrade here, or at least you'd feel better about it here, but he got a whole bunch of money. He's got the concussion history. Long term, I think that would have been a bad play. It would have helped him now in the immediate future, but it would have been a bad play long term. I totally agree that it would have been a bad play long term because I have no issue with them not paying Morse long term uh, with his concussion history. I mean, you might get him for one season and then he, he's done if he gets any more. 
Um, I, I did want them to be a little bit more interested in Paradis, but but with Morse, I, I'm I'm perfectly fine with them not going long term on him because I just feel like they really overpaid for him. Um, and that's not a deal I wanted the Jets to do. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from my friend Kenny at Deep Threat, and this is a really interesting one because it takes into account Jets history. He says, all said and done, who do you think will be the best number three overall pick that the Jets have ever had? Quinn and Williams, Sam Darnold, Freeman McNeil, Matt Snell. Matt Snell, as we know, probably should have won MVP of the Super Bowl and was an excellent running back for the Jets. Freeman McNeil was incredible. Three-time All-Pro, and let me tell you, for anybody that didn't get a chance to watch him, he could make anybody miss. If it wasn't for the injuries, he might be a Hall of Famer right now. Darnold, obviously, we know what the potential is there, and same with Quinn and Williams. It's a tough one to ask because right now I would say you'd have to go with Freeman, but as far as looking into the future, you would hope that it would be Darnold. It also could very well be Quinn and Williams. So my answer is Freeman McNeil with a very real chance that when it's all said and done, it could be Darnold or Williams. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with uh the guys that I've seen a lot more of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> obviously those guys were a little bit before my time, especially before I was really watching and dissecting football. And then Darnold gets the nod for me just because of the importance of a quarterback. Quinton Williams could end up being a better player at his position than Sam Darnold. But Sam, if Sam Darnold is really the franchise quarterback we expect him to become, then that's going to be the guy because the quarterback is just that important. But either of those two guys, I, I really, truly do believe Quinnen Williams is special. I think he can be a, that type of player for the Jets. But it's going to be Darnold, assuming that he's what we expect him to be. Easy, simple. I just hope it's Darnold because – what we think that his his ceiling is going to be, where we think he's going to go, and where he's going to take this franchise. Um, again, Freeman McNeil a little bit before my time, uh, but I, I don't. I want Quinton to be great, but I want Darnold to be that much better. Uh, and, and I'm hopeful that he is the best number three pick, best Jets draft pick, best NFL draft pick. I don't care. I want it all. <laughs> so I, I just that's that's what we need <laughs> as as Jets fans and, and this franchise as a whole. Just want to point out that for anybody who hasn't watched Freeman McNeil play, you really should go and find some of the old Jets games on YouTube and watch him. He was absolutely unbelievable. At his peak, he was pretty much unstoppable. The 82 season was one of the best seasons you'll ever see from a running back. It doesn't get talked about enough because it was a strike-shortened season. They only played nine games, but in those nine games, he had 786 yards with six touchdowns on a 5.2 yards per carry average. He could make anybody miss. He could cut on a dime. He was a joy to watch. Like I said, a three-time All-Pro, one of the best players the Jets have ever had. 
And I will say that for as much as I love Quentin Williams and as much as I love Sam Darnold, if they could be as good at their position and hopefully stay healthier as Freeman McNeil was at running back, we should all be very, very happy. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive about every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Steve Ballou. He says, can you please reenact what your reaction was to the Daniel Jones pick when you heard it while watching the draft? So I'll go first. I was on the C3 Panthers podcast at the time, and shout out to those guys. They're really fun. I like them a lot. They were very gracious, and we had so much fun over this pick because they despised Dave Gettleman for what he did to the Panthers. It's funny. I never realized just how bad he was as general manager of the Panthers, but you go back, and they were running through it. What a litany of horrors. It was just a list of terrible decisions that this guy made. But we were watching live, and it was on YouTube, And the pick came, and they said Daniel Jones, and I just erupted with uncontrollable laughter, and I just kept laughing and laughing and laughing, and then I stopped, and I said, you know, after the Jets picked Quentin Williams, I didn't think this night could get any better, but somehow it just did, and then I kept laughing and laughing and laughing some more, and we were all really enjoying it because, like I said, the Panthers fans all hate Dave Gettleman and love when he makes stupid decisions for another team. So, Chris, what was your reaction when you were watching the draft and the Daniel Jones thing got announced. Before I answer that question, I'd like to point out you were on a Carolina Panthers uh, podcast, and in Carolina, that's where Duke is. So they also have familiarity Mm -hmm. with Daniel Jones, so that makes it that much funnier. My reaction was a little more muffled than it would have been if I was at home. I was in Florham Park in the media room with all the other reporters, so my reaction was a little more muffled than it would have been, and yet I still fell off my chair and rolled around on the floor laughing hysterically. <laughs> Paulie? Uh, so it was a house full of people. Uh, there actually wasn't any Giants fans, but we're sitting there. We're all going around as this clock's ticking away, and we're like, oh, is it Josh Allen? Is it this? Is it that? So we're all, you know, we're all kind of figuring there's no way in hell that they're going to take a quarterback because we just, we just figured in, we're zoned in, they're going to do this, and maybe they'll take – you know, a quarterback at 17. And then the name came across the bottom and we just all erupted in laughter. Um, we started, uh, we called a couple of our friends who were Giants fans and they were furious who are, are now backpedaling and they're okay and they love the pick, which is hilarious. But that's neither here nor there. But just the eruption of laughter of about 12 to 15 people in my basement and just kind of shocked, but hilarious, but not shocked. It was just, it was chaos until, you know, the next pick was made. I don't want to be that guy because I hate when people compare quarterbacks that went to the same school and say, you can't take a quarterback from that school the same way that they said with Sam Darnold because of Mark Sanchez going to USC. 
But it is kind of funny that the Giants used a first-round pick on a quarterback, Dave Brown from Duke, and he was all kinds of terrible. Funny story about Dave Brown, I'll never forget watching him when he went to the Cardinals back in 1999 when the Jets started out really poorly, and that season turned around when Ray Lucas came in after they benched Rick Meyer. This, of course, was the year that everyone expected the Jets to go to the Super Bowl, and then Vinny Testaverde tore his ACL, but the Jets were playing the Arizona Cardinals, and Dave Brown was starting for the Cardinals and it was Rick Meyer starting for the Jets and it was one of the worst football games I've ever watched in my life and I'll never forget Dave Brown being a part of that so I fully expect Daniel Jones to carry on in the Dave Brown tradition and fellas I am 100% ready for it (laughs) (laughs) I'll add that I also had to text my best friend because he's a huge Jet fan and his wife is a Giant fan so like I'm sure uh, people have to do with Paulie and, and his Patriot fan wife. I had to shoot my uh, friend some bail and let him go ahead and get a little win and taunt his wife a little bit. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Next question comes in from Will at not since 69. One of my favorites. He says, Scott and Chris, do you feel as I do that Mac gets too cute with his trade downs in the mid rounds? He leaves quality players at positions of need on the board this year, especially he did it with players like love. You also had the cornerback from Penn state. Both were available, but they traded back and ended up with injury prone, older players frustrating to watch as a fan 100 percent, he gets way too cute with these deals we've seen it many times now eli harold didn't actually turn out to be anything like what we expected i thought that he could potentially be a solid pass rusher but the jets had him sitting on the board in 2015 and instead traded down and took lorenzo malden that was a mistake even if eli harold doesn't turn into what we thought he would be at least he's still in the league and you had a similar situation this year like i said i would have loved akeem butler but once he was off the board you had the possibilities like Chauncey Gardner Johnson you also had Julian Love sitting on the board like you mentioned Will and the guy that I really like Drew Samia the guard from Oklahoma all of those guys were possible starters instead they traded down and got a blocking tight end and don't get me wrong it sounds like Wesco could be a pretty good player and he may fill a role as a blocking tight end but I just thought there were better players available guys that could have contributed at higher impact positions and guys that were younger too so I agree with you Will I think Mac absolutely gets too cute sometimes with these mid-round trades yeah absolutely especially with that second trade he made with the to drop back in the higher round to move up in the the next round that way too cute and didn't even make any sense and i'll just say again the julian love one this is the biggest one for me i again i i watched notre dame a lot that's the that's the team i always watch the most in college football doesn't really make sense how i ended up notre dame fan turning how i grew up but there's a funny little story behind that save for another day but that, that was the pick. That's where he really passed up. I think Julian Love's going to be a really good player. And these, he definitely outthinks himself, gets a little too cute with these with these late-round trades. There's just not as much value picking up extra pick in those rounds. Yeah, I just – this is and see, this goes back to my big issues with Mac. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, they're just later draft picks. And that's not the point. I mean, there's other times where – the the depth of a roster is built through the draft. I mean, whether it be O line or whatever position. And I mean, you see other teams all the time have fifth and sixth round picks who end up being contributing players. And then you've got McCagnan who trades back and gets more picks and then just takes these older guys or, or, or guys with, you know, injury history that are they want to develop. I mean, 
you don't have that much time to develop players in the NFL. I mean, the average career for most players is three years. So based on what he does in the later rounds, he just does not build depth for his roster. And that's been the Jets' issue over his tenure. There's just been no depth after the the starters. I mean, while the starters haven't been good for most of his tenure, just the lack of him getting players in the later rounds that turn into contributors is just, it's just an issue for me, and and that's where you, like I said, you build your depth. So he does get too cute, and then he doesn't execute on doing that. I'm all for obtaining more picks, but you got to make those picks count. Next question comes in from Peter Dillard. He says, hey, guys, can you tell me if there's any significance to that ESPN shot of Mike McCagney in the war room by himself? Look really strange. Also, second question, can you guys tell me why Mac continues to ignore the offensive line? If he can add three defensive linemen in last year's draft, why can't he add more than one offensive lineman in this one? First of all, yes, that was an incredibly odd visual of Mike McCagnin in the war room alone. I've never actually seen that before, so I don't know what that's about. It obviously adds plenty of fuel to the Adam Gase-Mike McCagnin feud fire. I'm not sure why he was the only one there, but it was absolutely a bizarre shot. As far as the offensive line, I'm with you. I think that Mac hasn't made enough high-level picks on the offensive line. In fact, this pick with Adoga was the first offensive lineman that the Jets have picked in day one or day two since McCagnin's been here. That should not be the case. He should have used higher round picks on offensive linemen sooner. But I do think that the fact that he took Adoga is a good sign. I think that he should have doubled up, taken Adoga in the third, and then taken Samia in the fourth. Although, I will say I would have taken Butler in the third if it was me. But after taking Adoga, I would have taken Samia in the fourth after Butler went. So I'm with you. I think it's frustrating that he hasn't made more high-level investments in offensive linemen for sure. Chris, what do you think? How weird was that shot of McCagnin in the war room, and what's the deal with McCagnin not wanting to invest in the offensive line? The shot was super weird. It's about as weird as I could possibly imagine. I, I, I don't, I've never seen that before, ever. Usually the war rooms are incredibly packed. You see people in there. Uh, I don't know how they allowed to get out. Again, I said this last night. I don't think we can sit there and look at it and really say it means anything that could be a completely legitimate fluky reason for it but there's no doubt that it was completely and totally and utterly weird uh we've talked a lot about whether he was ignoring the offensive line or not and again that's been a huge criticism of mine i just don't think the value added up for him on a lot of spots didn't have that many opportunities but what i will point out to add a little bit of fuel to this fire is I know we're just talking about undrafted free agents here, but they have one offensive tackle or just one offensive lineman in general. The last I looked today, uh, just one of them is undrafted free agents. And there is five defensive tackles among the undrafted free agents. Now, most of these players obviously aren't going to have any chance of making the roster, but, with this defensive line the way it is, why do you need to bring in five defensive tackles and only one offensive tackle? It it just it defies logic. It doesn't make sense. The only thing I can think of, Chris, is if you remember, one of the better guards the Jets have had in recent memory was Brandon Moore, and they converted him from defensive yep. tackle. So maybe that's what they're looking to do. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Just trying to think outside the box and bring a little reason to this madness. What do you think, Paulie? 
Well, first things first, I don't think if there was any, you know, speculation and rumor about Gase and Mac that 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 video of him being by himself would have been that big of a deal. But then it gets a little bit more concerning because, you know, we we talked about this off air. You know, every time the team posts a video of the, you know, the GM giving the call to the player, it's always the GM, the owner, and then the head coach. We didn't get that once with any pick. Gase didn't seem like was involved in any phone call with any picks of the player. Um, you know, we try, uh, you tried to confirm it. I uh, forgot with who, if he did that with Miami, you got information that they were not sure. So we're unsure of that. So maybe that's kind of Gase's thing, but it was very weird to not only see that clip, but then also not never see Gase in any of the phone calls as well. It's just, it's a very odd situation, which I wish we had more answers to right now. Uh, but I hope maybe they're able to squash it soon so it doesn't fester throughout the season. Um, you know, as far as the offensive line, um, I haven't looked at the full list of the undrafted guys. I do know that there was a bunch of defensive linemen, like Chris said. Um, but when you don't have a lot of picks, you, your options are limited, like we've stated before. So, you know, we've kind of talked at the, about the offensive line at nauseum. I know everybody cares about it, um, and it's a major issue. So we'll see what happens. Speaking of the struggles between Mac and Gase, or at least the rumors of such things happening, I'm going to let Gus Toon ask a third question because he just sent this one in. He says, my question is, I know this has been talked about on Twitter, but could this alleged feud between Mac and Gase boil over and get one of them fired? And if so, what kind of impact would that have? I'm not going to say it's impossible. I'd say it's pretty unlikely because it would make the Jets look really bad, but if Gase were to win a power struggle here, it's entirely possible that Christopher Johnson could say, hey, Mike, basically, you're a mascot until we fire you at the end of the year. We're just keeping you around for PR purposes. Or it could be the opposite with Gase. They could say, look, we don't respect you for pulling this power play, so you better get to the playoffs this year or you're out of here and we're starting fresh. Or they could sit him down, like we said, Chris, and say, look, you guys better work together or you're both out of here. As far as what kind of impact it could have on the team, obviously it's never a good thing if the general manager and coach are feuding, if that's what happens. And I will say, if they are feuding, it's going to get real interesting because you're going to see competing factions leaking different things to the press. We already know which reporters are the favorites of Mike McCagnin. If you don't know who I'm talking about, you can figure that out. As far as who's going to be Gase's favorites, I don't know yet, but that could be really interesting, and that's certainly something that, Chris, you will have a vested interest in monitoring. What do you think of this whole situation? Yeah, I, again, I don't think that anybody is expecting any type of moves to happen anytime soon. It would just be too bad of a look. But I actually, I think this power play... I. I think Mike McCagnin was on the hot seat in general. We talked about this the day that this news started bubbling up and when we started talking about it. When I first read those tweets, I was like, well, is this saying that he's likely to be fired soon or he's just on the hot seat? Because we knew he was kind of on the hot seat already. If it doesn't get turned around, I could see him getting fired and that could have happened independently of Adam Gaze. So this could be... If anything, it could backfire on Adam Gase 
Because, again, if I'm Christopher Johnson and Adam Gaze comes in here, hasn't even coached the game, just got fired, that's going to make me sour on Adam Gaze more than anything else. But I don't know. Maybe he knows which buttons to press on Chris Johnson, and maybe Chris Johnson is going for it. We don't know enough about Chris Johnson to know how he would react to something like that. But the one thing is it's not, it, none of this can be a good thing. It's not, we don't expect to move anytime soon. It would be crazy for it to happen. And I've said that the entire time I'm talking about this. But this, none of this is good. It's kind of funny because, you know, many people were rejoicing after the Williams pick. And then 24 hours yet later, it was like, yeah. oh, great, the Jets are back. But um, the one thing I do find kind of interesting, and as much as I want to believe, you know, what's being thrown out there as well, you know, when it comes to kind of who's been getting information, uh, there's one beat writer, I won't mention by name, but it's kind of obvious kind of who's been feeding him some information. Uh, and he's denied that this is going on. So, um, you know, do, who do we want to believe at this point? I don't think that there's going to be, you know, we're going to have a press conference scheduled for Thursday this week and McCagnan's going to be fired. I do hope that Woody's not going to just, I mean, excuse me, Christopher's going to go to him and say, hey, listen, you're out after this year because then we're going to have leaks galore and it's just going to be chaos in the media. So I hope they can kind of squash it and everybody can try to work together at least through this season. And then based on what happens at the end of the year, a decision can be made, you know, if there's a power play or if everybody's getting along. Uh, but I don't think we're going to see anything. We're going to probably see some scouts go. Um, you know, that happens all the time. Uh, but I don't think McCagnin's going anywhere in the immediate future. Let me jump in here too, real quick, because that you know, a couple of reporters have refuted the rumors, but the only part that they refuted was that idea that McCagnan would be getting fired anytime. Very true. Very no, true. Nobody That's right. has come out and said that. Oh, they've been getting along great. I know they asked him at the press conference, and McCagnan gave the quote, but of course he's going to say that. Nobody has come out and yep. said there's nothing. No. No truth to rumors about, you know, arguments and debates and, and uh, uncomfortable friction between these two. Valid point, valid point. All I know is a lot of people around the league have heard this stuff. We've had several reporters report that they've talked to sources that have heard about these things. Rich Semini, you, Chris, several others. We also know that Adam Gase was nowhere to be found in these press conferences. And like you said, Paulie. I checked with Travis Wingfield from Locked On Dolphins about this, and he wasn't sure what the deal was with Gase as far as their draft press conferences, but that's definitely very odd that he wouldn't be there. It looked very strange on television when Adam Gase wasn't there to talk to Trayvon Wesco in the fourth round. They had him talking to the tight ends coach. So I'm not saying that it's 100% guaranteed that they're ready to kill each other or anything like that, but there are definitely some signs that this looks like things are not going quite so smoothly. Next question comes in from that QC guy. He says, should the Jets have targeted Kelvin Harmon in the sixth round? He seemed like a bargain at that point. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I've, I'll point this out, and I, I saw a bunch of people on Twitter mentioning this and pointing this out. There does seem to be a trend in the NFL where teams are shying away from some of the bigger receivers, uh, you know, whether it's Butler, Harmon, uh, Metcalf. They've slipped farther than we expected. There does seem to be more of a trend of trying to get away from some of those guys. Now, you know, obviously we're not talking about uh, Julio Jones, uh, uh, type talent where I think that people would still go after that. 
but there does seem to be a little bit of a trend there. I should point this out. According to Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News, the guy that the Jets were trying to trade up for in the second round is not who we expected at all, if Manish is correct. And because he's plugged into a certain somebody in the front office, I think there's a good chance that he is. He says the Jets were looking to get Georgia wide receiver Mecole Hardman. The Chiefs ended up getting him one spot ahead of where the Jets were looking to trade up to so that he could be the replacement for Tyreek Hill. So even if they would have completed that trade, they wouldn't have gotten their target. But that's really interesting that that's who the Jets were looking at because, Chris, remember, all the leaks were that the Jets were possibly trying to trade up for a center or a pass rusher. Once again, all that smoke, but the fire would have been around a wide receiver. Yeah, that that's interesting. Nicole uh, Harmon's pick I really like. Uh, I really love it for the Chiefs, especially considering they'll most likely have to and definitely should replace Tariq Hill. But that's interesting. I, I, he's a player I thought would have been a good fit, and I believe I believe that report for sure. That makes sense, that he would have been a good enough player to try to trade up for. But, yeah, like we talked about, that the price was prohibitive there. Paulie, what do you think about Harmon in the sixth round? And also, what are your thoughts on Manish's report that they were looking to trade up for Mecole Hardman? So what I'm going to say is, is, yes, absolutely, they should have took Harmon because look at what they did in the sixth round. They took a cornerback who played five games and is coming off two ACL tears and is expected to start the offseason on the pup list. So, I mean, if we're really going to sit here and say um, that, you know, yes, he is a bigger receiver, but I think that value in the sixth round um, was absolutely what they should have done. Um, it, it's crazy to me that he lasted that long, but given who they took in the sixth round, that absolutely should have been the pick. Uh, in regards to uh, Manish's, uh, you know, report, um, you know, it says that, you know, he went one spot before where the Jets were looking to move up. Uh, looking at the draft, the that would have been the Eagles spot where they took J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. Um, so maybe there was rumors that an NSC team was actually interested in Darren Lee. So maybe Darren Lee may have been going to the Eagles in some kind of package to move up to get to that spot before Hardman went, you know, 24th in that round, which was a, what do you say, 56 overall. Um, Hardman is an electric player. He's a very fast player. Um, you know, for the Chiefs, their thought process to replace Hill with Hardman is, is kind of smart because, you know, they, they, they have the same type of speed, uh, same type of player. Um, it would have been a fun player to add to this offense, something that this offense could have used. Um, but again, it, it's an interesting thought that they were looking to trade up with the Eagles, which I'm not sure if that was their pick, but the Eagles are in that spot on the on the draft tracker. So it, it's interesting to know now that, hey, they were trying to add somebody on offense. And Hardman's a gay type of guy, too. Yeah, when you look at him, you look at guys like, you know, um, Albert Wilson and yeah. then uh, – I can't think of the the fast returner who's Jakeem, super too. Yes, Grant. Jakeem Grant. Yeah, so he would have been day one walk in, and he would have been the kick returner and possibly punt returner too. So that would have been a really solid pick uh, for the Jets. Yeah, I agree. And like Chris said, he would have been a perfect fit for the Adam Gase offense. Now we'll see if he can fill the shoes of Tyreek Hill in Kansas City. Fellas, thanks so much for joining me again for part three of the post-draft mega mailbag. We will come back with our final part of the post-draft mega mailbag, part four tomorrow. I knew there were going to be a ton of questions. There were so many, and I'm really glad that we're able to answer them for you over the course of a couple of days post-draft. In the meantime, make sure you follow Paulie on Twitter at Paulie underscore B-R-U-Z. 
Check out Chris's work at JetsInsider.com and follow him on Twitter at CNimbly. Follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.